This is Old Man Rolling Dice. Good afternoon, this is Jason from Old Men Rolling Dice. I'm here this afternoon with three local dungeon masters, DM Jeremy, DM Jonathan, and DM Colleen. Today, we're going to be discussing social interactions in fantasy role-playing games. Dice rolling versus improv acting, and how those play out differently, and the pros and cons of each. We should say maybe a little bit about our games. I DM out of the Devil's Bench locally, as does Jonathan. Yeah. Yeah. So you run two campaigns at the bench. Yes, I do. And Colleen, you uh, you run I know one for sure because you're playing it. Yes, I run one. I have my IRL game and my online game. My online game is three really new uh, girls who separately, when I asked them, all said, "But uh, but what what if I slow down the game because I don't know anything?" All three of them, and I was like, and one of them I said to her, "Look, you've played three times. You have the most experience here. <laughs> don't worry about it." Yeah. And they've never played before. Uh, once or twice. No, actually, no. The 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 the, the late twenties one has played in a few different games, mm-hmm. including mine. But um, but yeah, very little experience in terms of the grand scheme of things. I think that's one of the strengths of the edition. My wife uh, has a friend at work who is just discovering Dungeons and Dragons now, and I I don't think she's quite as old as my wife and I. But still, what not like a team like where sort of traditionally people discovered Dungeons and Dragons, but uh, yeah. And then John, my son, I gotta tell, I gotta talk about this very very quickly. Had for the first time ever had two of his friends show up at our door, knock on the door, open the door, and they're like, "Is John here?" I'm like, "Yeah, what's up? We want to see if he wants to come over and play D and D." I was like, "Of course he does." So yeah, it felt bad because at the time, knowing Jeremy, I just assumed that this was a regular occurrence that happened every day that his boy simply left the house to mm-hmm. play Dungeons and Dragons. But it was the first time. And I looked at his face, and he's like, "I was glowing." Yeah. Yeah, and then he's like, "That out. is the first time that has ever happened." Because so because he's played, he plays in your game, yeah. uh, Colleen's game. He plays in uh, my game occasionally when I can con him into it um, <laughs> with his brother and. Uh, this was the first time that his friends... I knew his friends played. His one friend plays in an actual club at the school. And I know they play. And I was, like, constantly saying to John, maybe you should invite them over. Maybe you should invite them over. Like, I've got all the stuff here. Like, I have a... There's no shortage of minis and things like that in my house. Dice and books and just invite them over. And you can play. And he was always like, no, 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 no. And then... They showed up at the door, and I was like, jackpot. Don't forget your dice. Yeah. And even when my wife came home, I said, you're not going to believe where John just went. I told her, and she was like, that is awesome. I hope he does that all summer. So, yeah. All summer and the rest of his life. Yeah. And then I grilled him on how the session went. When he got home, of course, I had to grill him. Right. Let's just say rules are a secondary. That's the beauty of that. Which is actually maybe a good segue into what we're going to be talking about is we're going to talk about uh social uh skills specifically things like uh persuasion deception and intimidation and um the reason this has come up the reason that we chose this as our first topic is i had had a discussion recently with one of my players a longtime player she she doesn't currently play in any of my campaigns. she's sort of taking a break and we got into a discussion about like if her character is smarter than her, then why does, and she's stumped on a puzzle, then why can't her character make some kind of an intelligence role to solve the puzzle? 
And then shortly after we had had this discussion, Colleen and I, in Colleen's game, somebody rolled an insight check against someone else. Yes. Uh, it happens once in a while. I can't remember this. Do you remember any details about the specific incident? No, I don't. I only know that it happened. I do know, though, that in our in the in the game that we run at the bench for the bench's YouTube channel, Nate. Oh yeah. Uh, you ran. You in, wanted yeah. to insight check him, and yeah. I'm as we'll soon find out. I'm not a big proponent of allowing that to happen. Yes. And we did allow it to happen, and he looked like he got his nose a little out of joint. Oh. And if just from my visual, mm-hmm. and maybe I'm wrong, and I should maybe talk to Nate about it, but I was like, hmm, maybe he didn't like the fact that, because I he was not willing to give up anything. No. And I sort of gave up a little bit from my knowledge of the character, mm-hmm. and then he looked at me like, why did you do that? And I was like, ooh. Which made me think, so all these things happened in relative a few days of one another. And I'm like, this is actually a really good topic. Mm -hmm. So should a character be able to, for instance, I'll give this a generic scene and you guys can tell me what, how you would handle it. So a player approaches castle gate. There's a guard there. They're not letting anyone into town. So they have to either persuade or intimidate or they have to figure out a way to get past this guard and into the city. So the player um, doesn't role play, just immediately says, I'd like to make a persuasion check. What do you do? You go first. Me? Um, uh, it depends on the situation. It depends on the speed of the game that I'm running. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do tend to run a very role play heavy game. Uh, heavy game. It's just... Like, <laughs> I actually was talking to a player after my... Uh, Yesterday. Yesterday was Wednesday, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. My, my game last night. And he was saying that he actually wants to try getting into a game that is more railroading. Because my game's the first game he's played in, and it's basically an Elder Scrolls game where you go out into the world. If you don't know where you're going, you can get lost uh, very easily. So I would most likely encourage the, the player to say, okay, how are you going to persuade them? I would accept them either role-playing the, uh, the, what they're saying, or I would also accept, uh, accept if they wanted to describe what they are, uh, how they're going about persuading the person. Uh, usually my players, again, because I play, ha- have a role-play heavy game, and I train my players into it to a certain extent, they will usually go straight into an in-character uh, persuasion of them, and then accompany it with a persuasion role. And I'll usually, uh, I'll us- like, if they do a really good job on their role-playing one, I'll give them advantage on that persuasion role. Well, that's not a bad So there, there's motivation, because if, uh, if someone comes up with something that's really persuasive and does that in person, I'll let them, uh, I'll, I'll let them have advantage. On the other hand, if they do a really bad job, I'm not, I'm not going to give them disadvantage unless it's they a really situation it where they are really messing it up, um, because... I don't want they they tried. As long as they try, I'm I'm happy with that. But I mean it must be easy too to a degree because you've established this your campaign or your play style and what people are bringing to the table is very role play heavy. To a right? certain extent. So yeah. that I think if people are there that they kind of know that that's what's happening in every seat around the table to a degree. To to a certain extent, it's it's very largely trained in uh one of my tables because I I run two games back to back every Wednesday. The uh has a player who he's he's very new to the game. But uh, when, when we first started playing, 
they'd pl- he he played with some people before in more of the teenager style games and the type of stories that I heard out of it was basically along the lines of it's the type of game where they just go around trying to seduce everyone that they walk walk into. And um the game, I live my life that way, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It, it, it happens. So, so the games start off, and he, he's playing a half-elf, and they're, uh, they're sailing on a ship to a new world, and the captain of the ship is a half-elf woman. So he decides that he's going to try to f- start flirting with her. And I'm not okay with people just rolling, walking up to someone, rolling a die, and if they roll well enough, oh, that person falls... Their clothes fall off for you, right? And uh, and so I'm like, okay, what do you say to them? And just from that, I sort of started training them into there. And then it was accompanied by a roll to which the entire table started chanting one, 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 and he rolled a one. <laughs> so Colleen, would you do this? Would you do similar? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but with one with one addendum, which is yeah, with reference to my online game with with the newbies. Also, back me up slightly. I I come to I, I come to D and D from a roleplay heavy background. I view D and D as a framework in which roleplay happens. Combat is a lot easier when you have rules and there nobody no force nobody can say oh but I totally just killed you in one hit ah uh, no. So D and D for me is a tool uh, for 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 roleplay. So but uh, mindful of new players, I would absolutely if I was playing with people I uh, who are new and who. Uh, and I never encountered this actually, but if I did, somebody who's like, okay, no, I, I, I'm not sure what to say, I wouldn't want to make that person uncomfortable. That's not why I play this game. So, but then I would probably consider that the the the, the viability of that game with me as the DM because it's like I'm there to have fun too. So maybe you know, let's make this a short campaign, and then I'll recommend somebody else who's not as roleplay heavy. Again, it's it's the theme of the game of, of the table and and the style of, of play. So I would never want to make anyone comfortable, but that roleplay is definitely my my bailiwick. So so my next question or sort of next place that I would go with this, and and I'll certainly chime in on this one is. If your player, so that same scenario, uh, at the gate, uh, persuade, begins to tell the guard, oh, well, we need to get inside, or, and uh, and does, let's say, a poor job. Lukewarm. Yeah. From a role-playing standpoint. They really didn't bring up, they didn't bring much meat to that. They just, well, let us in. <laughs> we're, I'm not, I'm, we're good-looking people. We're nice. You know, let us in. Or in your case, the... Guy tries to uh, seduce the captain, and there's really nothing of seduction there, right? Because maybe maybe the person just isn't a, sedu- a seductive personality. It doesn't have that kind of chops. doesn't have that range. <laughs> but they roll a 20. Yeah, that's a, a very different situation, too. It's like you have to take a lot into consideration. At a... At, for the example of at the gate, I would allow a twenty to be a success, no matter what. Like, like, come up with some creative a, way to make it. Yeah, I mean, it could be that the guard is just very easily taken in. The, the guard is just in a hurry, lets the person through. It's it, it it's a twenty. Um, I do prefer if people do a good job of role playing with with the uh, the and that and that's that again is uh, obviously um, what's the word I'm looking for subjective. Mm-hmm. Someone's role-playing ability is a subjective. Like, you might have thought, oh, that was 
not really that good. Yeah. But they thought they had done something wonderful, right? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I mean, when it, when it comes to the end of the day, it's like, it's, it's about everyone having fun and telling a good story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and some, everybody can get lucky once. Once again, I 100% agree. If somebody's not a strong role player, and making them role play means that they're not enjoying the game and they're mm-hmm. not, like, one thing, this is the advantage of not being a dungeon master and only playing with a close group of friends. You, I know that this person isn't going to do that. That's okay. Roll yeah, your dice. Trying. Roll your dice. Have some fun, yeah. and we move on. I, mean, I know another person is going to want to talk for twenty minutes. That's what brings yeah. him enjoyment to the game. He he's allowed to have that spotlight, right? As long as neither one of them has is affecting the other person's game negatively, then if they can both walk out of that with. Feeling yeah. like they got to play the game they wanted to play, then no problem at all. Yeah, I think I think it's also a lot um, a, a lot easier in some ways in the situation you're talking about where you're playing with a uh, close group of friends. Absolutely right? easy. But both the games that I'm running, uh, it's a pay-to-play game, so it's whoever comes is there. And I say at the beginning of the game, look, everyone's here. Everyone here is paying, so we want it to be fun for everyone. And um, that's a good rule for any game, though. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I hear what you're saying when the when the when the players have paid money to play. Yeah, there's, and a, there's a certain expectation. They're now paying for entertainment. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you, you don't you don't know the players at the start too, right? And they so don't know you, each other. So you have no, to learn them as they go along at the beginning. Yeah, and so you have to build that as the game goes along, and dis- it's an it's discovery. Okay, it's so incredibly I, difficult. I will put something forward then, and, and Colleen, you can rebut me, okay? Okay. Because I don't think you're going to agree with what I'm about to say. Right, bro. Wow. I think then that the role playing is irrelevant. If the dice roll, if a twenty will always give you that lucky shot, if a high roll will, as a DM, you go, well, he's got. Good. He's got good persuasion. He just got an 18 or some ridiculously high number in the 20s. So I have to reward the role. Then the role playing is irrelevant. It didn't matter what he he or she said. They're okay. I'm not or if sure. a one is always going to turn it on its head, doesn't matter how good that person just role played. It's irrelevant. We're just doing it for show because what really matters is what the dice does. Well, okay. There's one point I wanted to make on the previous point, which is related to this, which okay. is uh, there are certain, shall we say, topics or subjects under which, uh, such as the good captain earlier mentioned, where the dice are relevant. And there are certain topics where, as a DM, I would never allow certain things to play out. Mm. Uh, it, just because that's, I think, setting a very poor example for your son, who's at my table. No, okay, fair enough. Um, fair enough. Not even in terms of content, in terms of, of worldview. So, other than that, um, I, I think it's an individual basis. I think it's, it's also, we need to consider um, magnitude, right? Because if this is a, oh, look, uh, a, a town, we really want to go there to find out what's there. It's called Hubberduke. It sounds really fun. Um, then it does sound fun. It does sound fun. <laughs> if you come to that gate and you like, for example, the DM didn't have anything prepared, or whatever, like, or they just rolled badly, that's not a huge deal. But if this is the, you know, final battle of Red Hand of Doom, 
and we've been leading up to this for weeks, and everybody's prepared, and, and the spells are, are cast, and everything, and it's a huge thing. And then if the DM says, well, your roleplay was bad, therefore you can't get into the big final boss, so everything is contextual, uh, I think. And it's, for example, and, and maybe the guard is not the only way into that city, right? If you fail there with a 1, or you see with a 20, then maybe you have to go climb the wall. I don't know. That's, that's how D&D works. I, I, I tend to uh, agree with that, and actually, I of think... Of course you do. I didn't say yes <laughs> or no. <laughs> well, no. see, see that, that I think that's what it comes down to. It all comes down to the context of the situation. Um, I actually very rarely call for uh, for roles in, um, in social uh, situations. Often the players uh, want them before I'm... <laughs> and I, I forget about them half the time because... I'm a role player. I just I just go straight into the role and go with whatever's going on. And if I think there's something that could go either way, yes. that's a really good place for using the roles. Yes. I, I, I like having a mix. And because the players don't know what's going on, you can have the players roll and they're going to fail no matter what. Because what I say one thing I say to my players is that a natural twenty is an automatic success if it's possible to succeed. Yes. I like to look at it as a natural 20 is a best case scenario. It doesn't even have to be a success. The yes. guard isn't going to let you in, but he's also not so offended by you that he's going to arrest you. Yes. Right? Or it doesn't have to be, they open the gates, they throw a parade for you, They're, somebody is currently <laughs> chiseling a statue. Like, it doesn't have to be that. And it's important to note, because I love my rules, it's important that the rules do not state that crits happen on skill checks. Yes. A crit, a 20 is only sort of your all-win crit in combat and a one is only an all failure in in combat if you roll a one on a skill check but have a high enough bonus to get above the dc you still you still succeed the one is not an automatic failure on anything except an attack roll it is it's hilarious when it is but yeah, it's, 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 but it's I think option. people play I think people play even on their skill checks as if it's a rule as if I just crit my persuasion, mm. which is, yeah. I, I understand why they like that, because when 20s hit the table, the table should explode. Yeah. Like, I, like, I like in our game, because it's not as, there's a lot of humor to it, when somebody gets that one, and the whole table goes crazy, yeah. and they're like, but my passive perception was high enough that I wouldn't notice anyway. Yeah. But you're like, but I really, I want to see that one, and then, we, because... Once again, we can have a whole discussion yeah. on passive perception. Because <laughs> <laughs> passive perception could see it, you should have never made the roll in the first place. My point is, just because I would naturally be able to do something, I, I still like to see that 20 or the 1. I think in, in the type of game I'm currently playing, I, I like to have that, oh my god. And once again, it doesn't mean everything happened, it just meant sort of like, this is the best we could have hoped for yeah. in the scenario we're currently in, or, oh my god, this might be the worst we could have hoped for. Yeah. Like, and again, to be because I love my rules, uh, there is rules in like the DMG that says like if the creature is friendly or or uh, sort of neutral to you, here's the DCs for making persuasion checks mm -hmm. and things like that. Mm -hmm. So that leads me to my next thing because I actually don't do this. This is a big uh, spoiler for people that play in my games. When I ask for a pers persuasion or an intimidation role, I generally have not picked a DC prior to the role. Oh, I'm the same. 
That, that, Who picks DCs ahead of time? I'm sorry. So, that's so, it. We, so we're unanimous in that. The DC is not picked. No, and um, that's the other thing that. Uh, but then does the dice roll? Because here's the here's the thing that I get into. This is the argument that I get into in my own head afterwards. If I hadn't chosen the DC prior to the roll, and they rolled badly, and I gave them something regardless, then I should have never asked for the roll. Was it forwarding your game? Is it like you're you're still talking about story building, story writing, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you're dying to say something. So the reason you no, would no, have done just, it. We we had the same reaction, of, and that was funny to me. If you have like, do you know what I'm saying? You yeah. go. Uh, someone goes. I'm gonna try to uh, lie to the guard. Like I'm gonna. So we're gonna. So I tell him that you know we're we're simple merchants and. No, this isn't gold under the tarp. This is, you know, rocks or something. You know, whatever the case, whatever the case. And then you go, okay, give me a deception check. Now, I haven't picked a number in my head. I'm really just giving, I just, dice builds, a dice roll builds a little bit of suspense around the table. Oh, yes. People like rolling dice. It builds suspension. It gives me time to think about what, 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 okay. That's right. So they roll the dice, bop, 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 with a bonus, seven. Okay. I don't want to put the party in shackles, though. My plan for this grand story of mine, this would be a major curveball. There was... You're the DM. I know, but what I'm saying is that I shouldn't have asked for the roll in the first place, then. No, because people like you rolling know, dice. It builds suspension. But you could ask for a roll every five minutes and not tell them what it's for. And it yes! doesn't matter. Fair enough. Fair, well, it's not, no, not fair enough, Jeremy. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't like that idea. I don't like that idea. I feel like dice rolls should mean something. Um, again, it comes down to context, I think. Uh, I, I know exactly what you're talking about because I've had exactly the same situations show up before. I've had, like, like, situations where I'm like, I want my players to notice this, but everyone at the table is rolling badly. Um, and, and then maybe I'll give them a little something. I have two ways of countering it. One is uh, just allowing it, like saying it was a really easy DC to them. Mm-hmm. They, it was just making sure that they weren't rolling a natural but one or anything. anybody who knows the rules mm-hmm. knows that a seven, the, the lowest DC in the game is going to be what, ten? Ten. But there's always ways to get out of it. Like in that case, we lie and the guard goes, oh, really? And then the guard changes, so they get a second try with a new guard. See, there, there's ways to get out of it. Um, the other thing that I do in the situation with the guards, though, um, is that I'll often roll a die, a die between, behind the screen. As as if you're setting a... DC, DC through them rolling. Exactly. And at that point in time, it doesn't matter what I roll. If I no. really want them to succeed, they can succeed. I avoid doing that because I prefer the story to progress but he, okay. as it would progress. But if I'm Again, if we really want them to succeed, someone I don't know where I picked this up, but a long time ago in my readings or talking to fellow DMs or whatever, someone told me never put a secret door in front of a plot hook. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Be- because if they need to have that plot hook and they don't, don't make the perception check, yeah. or they decide not to even look for a secret door there, what are you as a DM going to do with that plot hook yeah. now that it's behind the door? And, and I yeah. feel like that's what we're doing when we just, we have the character uh, roleplay out their little scene. 
and then we ask for a roll at the end. No, but but this the, one of the points that you made at the beginning of this is this is one pillar of this game, right? So yes. social interaction failed. Fine. Next is combat, or you scale the wall, or you Fair build enough. a tunnel, right? Well, so th- yeah. this if if this is only one pillar, one one stool of one leg of the stool. I think that um, it, it's very challenging as a DM sometimes to make those decisions. Putting a major plot hook behind a secret door, yeah, that's something I avoid doing. Um, I actually had, uh, just just as Wednesday, um, I was talking to my players saying, yeah, one thing that I do with uh, puzzles is if I make a puzzle, chances are it's not going to block something that's absolutely essential to get to. Or at the very um, least, the difficulty of it is in direct proportion to yeah. how important it is. You will get rewarded interest. if you solve the puzzle. Yeah. But I will always have another way around. Let's talk about puzzles for a second. Okay. Okay. We, all three of us, DM'd at uh, Heroes for CF, yeah. our, our fundraiser here in Brantford. So, and I don't know if you checked out Bill's table, but our DM Bill has prompts like you have no idea. It was hard to ignore him, honestly. <laughs> yes, he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. His props are puzzles, some of them. There's one in particular where there's these letters around, written down a long strip of paper, and there are different uh, diameter dowels, but if you wrap it around the right dowel, the letters line up to give you a password. Wow. Steal the hell out of that, by the way. At some point, I'm going to put that in. But it's a manual uh, In real time, in real life. He gives that to the players. Yeah. Okay? And I did a puzzle at my table with uh, six wooden blocks, and they had letters on all different sides. They had some symbols with those letters as well, and it was a puzzle that they had to spell out, essentially, the the combination for to get a bunch of treasure. So, you put those things in. Your players don't get them. Now they're playing... I mean, they. I would say the majority of players love that kind of thing at their D&D table. Right up until they are... Frustrated and fail. Yeah. And that's, and that's where my friend was saying, my wizard is smarter than me. Why can't she solve this riddle with me making some kind of a rule? And that is where, in some cases, I would allow it. I would allow a rule for getting clues for puzzles, um, in particular, and if it was essential to the plot... Like, if they had to solve this puzzle, Mm -hmm. I would allow, like, if they roll, uh, again, though, I would make sure they have to roll really well. Um, I would set the DC high. I would definitely choose a DC ahead of time for that. And, uh... That's interesting, though. How do you choose a DC for a puzzle that you have created? Because many times when we create a puzzle, we're like, maybe this is too easy. Or maybe it's too hard. Um, But... How do you assign DC to it? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, and and for that, it's um, actually with at that point, if they're choosing to roll instead of actually solve the puzzle, chances are you know how hard it is because you've been watching them fail. <laughs> Sometimes for months. Um, but if it is one of those things that locks the story, in other words, you have designed the story of the adventure in such a way that if this puzzle is not solved. They are at a dead end. We've already established that they've been cracking their heads against this wall and going nowhere, yes. and it has to happen for the story. Yes. And as it does, message. It's probably you, have, you can either end the game think, there, or you can find a way. Can to we at least it. admit it was a bad DM choice? 
I would say it's a bad DM choice. Yeah, no, to... well, you said before, never put a thing behind a secret door. I'm but I do that. love the fact that a DM goes to that much trouble to create this physical puzzle or even a paper puzzle. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I feel bad for the, okay, I've worked so hard on this and it's going to be so <coughs> amazing and I just want to roll. I'm well, not going yeah. to read it. I would just like to roll the dice. I think and, that's a different kind of player, though. And I'm like, well, I feel bad because somebody's put so much extra effort into the game mm-hmm. and, and then it goes back to this dice roll and you're like, can't we at least hammer away at it for a half hour and if we're getting nowhere at that point in time? Yeah, because, again, and I, I know I sound like an old man here, and, and I'm not, I'm certainly not glorifying the good old days, but in the early days of Dungeons & Dragons, puzzles were a big part of the dungeons that were both written and sort of designed by people. Um, it, there was certainly less focus on the story. Mm-hmm. Some people will argue with me on that point. I understand. Your that. experience is, but my experience was dungeon crawls, puzzles, traps. That was what the game was about. And how do you figure out your way around those? Do you things? think a factor that might have been the age you were playing at too? Certainly, because I Certainly. was playing. I want to say like 1983. I was 13. Like the game that we played then. So much younger than you. Yeah, <laughs> the game that I was playing at that point in time wasn't super story driven because as 13 year old boys. It was just the visual of kicking down the door and attacking an orc. Sure, sure. But my point is that during those formative years for you and I in Dungeons and Dragons, puzzles and like, you know, here's some blocks and figure out how to put them together and things like that. That was not uncommon at our tables, at least the ones that I was playing on. And now it's magic and rare. It's not it's not as common, but my point was you would have never gotten away with saying I just oh, want to roll. Yeah. yeah, I yeah because the social skills weren't we, there. We just didn't roll. For Intelligence like that. was you didn't roll for things. We just like didn't that. roll. Yeah. For it didn't occur to you. Ever. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 it, it if you had to convince time. a guard, a DM probably would not give you like make give me a charisma roll. No, yeah. that would have been strange. Yeah, I think that I would. I would prefer overall not having roles for uh, for that sort of thing. Um, I think I would prefer the, the older way, but I think it's also partially how the game has evolved mm-hmm. and how it has drawn a a newer crowd. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that, that's how I yeah. view it. With with viewing D and D as a tool, I, I think that social roles are a tool when we are not sure, right? Like like for example, if if the, if the guard happens to be a bard, I didn't mean to rhyme, uh, and this is his day job, and he's trying to make it yes. you know, with the loot, and he has an insanely high charisma, and you have the, the, the actual bard coming up. I love that yeah, idea. I'm, I'm going to play that character. <laughs> <laughs> like my day job. And he, so you have like two insanely high charisma. Imagine both of the, the DM and the, the player are both really into role-playing. And we're doing really good here, and it's like, oh, hey, hello there, mister, whatever. And then we're not sure how is this actually playing out. Then a role can be a tool to resolve that. But I think, yeah, again, it needs to be the, the, the exception, not the rule. So I would, I would close off this by saying that using the dice, I don't want to call it a crutch, but it can ease some players' comfort levels if they're not as comfortable being the improv actor at the table. And that uh, I, someone, I think it was John, mentioned uh, giving advantage for an, giving an extra effort in role-playing, which I think is nice as well. Mm-hmm.